Several weeks ago, Pat Warner was with a group of us and was sharing how she had a little cancerous spot inside of her nose and was going to have to go in for a surgery. And the procedure that they were going to do is called the Mohs procedure. You probably know it. Some of you have had it done. Um, it's called that because it was created by a doctor way back in 1938, Dr. Mohs. And the procedure with skin cancer is that once they open it up and go in to get out that skin cancer, they also go to the margins and they immediately test it to see if there's any cancer there. And if there's cancer in the margins, they go a little bit further in until they've gotten all the cancer. So they keep testing, 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 and they don't close it up until they're absolutely confident that they've gotten out all the cancerous cells. And then they do some amazing cosmetic surgery, which she said worked really well for her, which is great. How important is it to pay attention to the infection on the margins and not to rush to the cosmetic surgery, to the beautiful sealing up of the wound? Very important. The prophet Jeremiah, who's a um, prolific prophet. It's a very, very long book in the Old Testament. Two times he says this, they have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. What wound is he talking about? Who are his people? The people of God who have known from the very beginning the way of life, and the way of death. All the way back at the end of Deuteronomy, when we hear this from the Lord, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him, for that means life to you. So they knew the way of life. They knew the way of death, and their path was taking them down the way of death. And over and over again, God is sending prophets to wake them up, to turn them back to the Lord. But Jeremiah's warnings go unheeded, and I want to read this scripture to you out of his uh, prophetic book, chapter 6. Thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Also, I raised up sentinels for you. Give heed to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not give heed. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, I am going to bring disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not given heed to my words. And as for my teaching, they have rejected it. Why would they do that? Why would they not give heed? Some of the commentaries blamed it on what they called exceptionalism. That there was among the chosen people the sense that nothing bad would happen to them because they were God's chosen. Some of them blamed it on the people that were in power who loved the status quo. Status quo was working for them. They didn't want any changes. They didn't want to listen to the voices that would confront and bring changes. 
the results is that you have this long book of Jeremiah revealing a cancer in their covenant with God. They refuse to listen, as we will hear in the middle of Lamentations 2 in a moment. Verse 14 that says, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen oracles for you that are false and misleading. They only wanted to hear good news. And then the worst happened. The fruit of their schemes. Jerusalem, is that me? Jerusalem and its people, everything that fortified their faith, the rituals of it, were completely decimated by a very cruel and powerful Babylon. Torch to the ground. And Jeremiah weeps. He's called the weeping prophet. And the product of that weeping is the book of Lamentations, which we are in for five weeks. Five chapters of exhausting, weeping, lamenting from inside the wound. Now, I feel like before I get into Lamentations 2, there's somewhat of a warning label that I need to read out loud to you about the language that you're going to hear in this chapter. Last Sunday, one of the members of this church came out the door and she said, please, please, please say something about the language in Lamentations that basically says that God is doing all this to us. You're going to hear in chapter 2 some horrifying language where God is the subject of these devastating verbs. God kills. God destroys. God abandons. There is this description of God's fury and anger that depicts God as having real anger issues, been extremely abusive, without pity, without mercy. Why would that language be in here? Why would they be talking like that in this lament? A few things that are familiar to me as we come across language like this in the Old Testament. One is that the Hebrew people had this strong sense of the sovereignty of God. God overseeing all of history is part of their way of saying that. Another descriptor, or at least an explanation, is that God has the right to judge. This is the consequences of the warnings that were given. But the third thing is something that is new to me that I did not know that I think is really important for us to know before we hear Lamentations 2. And that is that there was a form of lament that was very familiar in ancient Mesopotamia. It was called a lament over a city. And it always had the same ingredients. Four of those ingredients I want you to see. Poetic technique, divine abandonment, assignment of responsibility, and divine agent of destruction. Every lament over a city had these ingredients. And so they're basically using something familiar to all of them. We definitely see the poetic technique in the 22 verses, a la the Hebrew alphabet. But you're going to hear divine agent of destruction in spades. So as you hear Lamentations 2, I want you to wince. I want you to wince over these words and what they say about God, but I want you to let them be poetic descriptions of the fullness of the destruction and not a description of how God acts. 
holding it in the context of the larger biblical story, which is how we really hear about the heart of God. Secondly, listen to the voices from inside the wound. There are several voices, the voice of the narrator attributed to Jeremiah and the voice of a woman, daughter of Zion. Because healing comes from paying attention to the voices inside the wound. Okay. Lamentations 2. We're going to listen to it and then have a time of reflection. Peter, are you willing to play a little bit during this? Okay. Thanks. How the Lord in his anger has humiliated daughter Zion. He has thrown down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has destroyed without mercy all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand from them in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. He has killed all in whom we took pride, in the tent of daughter Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has destroyed Israel. He has destroyed all its palaces, laid in ruins its strongholds, and multiplied in daughter Judah mourning and lamentation, he has broken down his booth like a garden. He has destroyed his tabernacle. The Lord has abolished in Zion festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. A clamor was raised in the house of the Lord as on a day of festival. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of daughter Zion. He stretched the line. He did not withhold his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. Guidance is no more, and her prophets obtain no vision from the Lord. The elders of daughter Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young girls of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of my people. Because infants and babes faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city. As their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter Zion? For vast as the sea is your ruin, who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you faults and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen oracles for you that are false and misleading. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at daughter Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? 
All your enemies open their mouths against you. They hiss. They gnash their teeth. They cry, we have devoured her. Ah, this is the day we long for. At last we have seen it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his threat. As he ordained long ago, he has demolished without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Cry aloud to the Lord, O wall of daughter Zion. Let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and consider, to whom have you done this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have borne? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? The young and the old are lying on the ground in the streets. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. In the day of your anger, you have killed them, slaughtering without mercy. You invited my enemies from all around as if for a day of festival. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I bore and reared, my enemy has destroyed. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. This book of Lamentations is really, really hard to be in. And there's about 12 groups or, or more, actually, that are studying Lamentations together. But it's teaching us some important things. And one of the things it's teaching me is the importance of listening to the voices from inside the wound. Paying attention to those voices that are below the exceptionalism, below the actual cosmetic narrative of those who are in power. And I think it's important that we notice that one of those voices actually takes the form of the female voice in the Book of Lamentations. And there's a couple of reasons for that, because in the Hebrew understanding of Israel's unfaithfulness, they often depicted that in terms of an unfaithful wife to the covenant of love that Israel had made to God's covenant. So it made sense for the failure of Israel to be daughter Zion, daughter Judah. But besides depicting the failure of the people, there's also a way that the female voice is a victim in this destruction. And the shame that we see going on in, in what's happened to her and the wording that is used to describe what has happened to Jerusalem as a woman, it really helps us understand um, how women were treated in that culture. Everything about their body practically was unclean, and their voice was denied. And so truly, the women revealed a cancer that was maintained by the men in power. So listening to the voices of those who are underneath the exceptionalism, underneath the cosmetic cover-up maintained by those in power, and the thing that I'm learning is that listening to these voices is not easy. It's not easy, number one, because we're not trained to listen to these voices. Because these voices have been denied uh, the opportunity to be heard. And another reason it's not easy is because you have to go after them. 
like the cancerous cells on the margins. You have to go dig and find them. They can't come to you. And the third reason is because their voices aren't pretty. And especially if they've been inside the wound for a long time, they are not pretty. In January, when I was down south visiting a friend, uh, we had uh, the opportunity to watch the Grammys together, and that was really fun. And it opened up with uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar um, singing, and I was kind of partially watching it and partially talking to my friends. And the more I was watching, the more I thought, okay, something really powerful is being said here, especially when um, Dave Chappelle interrupted Kendrick Lamar's song and said, um, is this okay? Is this okay to be on television? And then he, he let him go on singing. Now, I, he's a rapper, Kendrick Lamar. Um, I couldn't understand anything he was saying. Uh, there was about 30 dancers around him, but the drama of what was going on in that was extremely powerful, especially when these dancers looked very much like inmates in a prison, and then with the crack of a sound in his hand, they looked like they were being shot one after another until they all were lying on the ground. Kendrick Lamar, Kurt, Pastor Kurt, told me about Kendrick Lamar a while back, and so I had this sensibility um, that this man speaks from the biblical narrative, that he speaks from his Christian roots. So it wasn't just Dave Chappelle who was kind of a heads up on something disturbing is being said here that is speaking out against the status quo. And so I wondered if his voice wasn't actually um, a voice from inside the wound that I needed to listen to. And so I looked up the album and I'm not necessarily recommending it. I don't know if you can see that little box right there. It says parental advisory something. In other words, you know, be careful. This isn't necessarily something you want your kids to be looking at. I think it says parental discretion advised. But then I found this article written by Rodney Carmichael, who is a hip-hop journalist. Who even knew there were such a thing? But there, he's a hip-hop journalist. Also a Christian background, person with Christian background, African-American, and the article was titled, The Prophetic Struggle of Kendrick Lamar's Dam. And the more I read, and it's a very long article, the more I read this piece, the more I thought, wow, this is a voice from inside the wound. Especially when Rodney Carmichael talked about how Kendrick Lamar sees himself not as a pop artist, he sees himself as a prophet. And he said, I consider Jeremiah to be his patron saint. And I consider the album Damn to be his lamentations. Whoa. So can I read to you just a few of the quotes by Rodney Carmichael? You okay with that? I'm gonna read about eight quotes here from this article. Just because I want you to hear um, what I heard. Rodney Carmichael says, Lamar's LP has me wrestling with the nature of my supposed cursed existence as a black man in the bowels of Babylon and the ways in which I may be complicit in it. It's God's judgment and our collective failings with which he, meaning Lamar, is most concerned. The real revelation of Dam is that faith no longer feels adequate enough to sustain America's masquerade. And when a country tosses its moral compass aside, 
all hell tends to break loose. Prophets did not bring hope and redemption. They preached apocalyptic visions full of fire and brimstone meant to turn the people away from ungodliness. They did not come to praise or worship, but to destroy and rebuild. With a sense of duty that compelled them to speak truth to power, they faced frequent persecution, imprisonment, even death. Damn, an album that finds his head swollen with temptation and righteous indignation as he calls out false prophets, fights the pool of false gods, and holds up a mirror to X-rated America. Kendrick Lamar's focus on God's heavy-handed judgment comes straight out of the same biblical bag historically used to suppress or oppress African Americans on these shores, which begs the question, what does it mean when your liberation tool, the key to your spiritual redemption, is the same tool your oppressors wielded to marginalize, marginalize you for hundreds of years? When it comes to the Judeo-Christian tradition, black folks are literally damned if we do and damned if we don't. What if the very thing he's relying on for salvation is the thing that's killing him? Wow. It was hard to hear. I wasn't sure I was understanding it, but I did know that there was truth being spoken to power and to the status quo, and it wasn't easy. But it was a voice from inside the wound. I think we've had a very profound experience of how healing comes from the voices inside the womb by listening to these high school students from Parkland, Florida, and having them, the victimized themselves, speaking truth to power about gun violence. But interestingly enough, their voices, I think, are easier to hear and understand because they speak like we do and they're educated, and they're well-resourced, and they come from communities like ours, a community, rather, of privilege. They have not suffered inside the wound for a long time. They're suffering now, but their voices are a little easier to hear. I think there are voices that have suffered inside the wound for so long and have been denied a voice for so long that they're a lot harder to hear. Like Native American Indians. Mark Charles, half Navajo and half Dutch Reformed, is a pastor who continues to point out how we have cosmetically covered up a narrative that oozes cancer to this day, and how the church has been complicit in that cover-up. He's not easy to hear, and he keeps talking about how hard it is for us to have conversations about this. The voices from inside the wound are very hard to hear. We haven't been trained to listen to them. They don't sound pretty. Um, voices like our prison population, oozing cancer to this day that we don't want to look at, why are there so many in prison and why are so many of them African-Americans? Like our migrant population. One of the profound things in Lamentation is that God's voice is absent. Absolutely absent. It's so absent that it's almost 
deafening and is filled with this mysterious void. But we know, as we have lamentations nested right in the middle of the biblical story, that God speaks fully in Jesus Christ. And his way of moving right to the voices from inside the wound. Jesus moves toward the women when he shouldn't be talking to a woman. Jesus moves toward the lepers when he shouldn't be around the lepers and touching the lepers. He moves toward the tax collectors, toward the Samaritans, all the unclean, out to the margins. And Jesus is clear that this is where we encounter God. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. The voices that we are not trained to listen to and that are not pretty and they are not easy to listen to especially if they've been inside the wound for a long, long time. But healing comes not from listening to the dominant narrative that is eager to maintain the status quo, but from listening to these voices deep inside the wound. And lament teaches us not to be careless with this wound as the people of God were before, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace, because we want a good news story, because we want quick resolution. Don't ignore the voices of shame and pain and the carriers of our shame and pain, because this is where God is, working healing in us. So in Jesus Christ, we are invited deep within the wound because that's where he goes to save us. During this time of prayer, you are invited in a moment to turn to a few people around you. They can be in front of you, behind you, but near you in clusters of about three and you will find there's a hand. Sam, I'm going to ask you to hold up one of those hands that's right by you. He's got one. So at the end of the pews, there are hands that look like, can you hold them up? Sam, can you hold yours up really high? Yeah, it looks like that. So you're going to be invited to write down on your hand a prayer of lament that is rising up from the three or so of you today that you are going to be invited to bring forward to this cross that we are going to have right here in a moment. I don't know where it is right now, but it will be right here. And also to bring your offering. So for a few minutes, you're going to be in your clusters of three, listening to what it is God is bringing up for you to bring forward to the cross for prayer. You will be rolling them up and sticking them in the cross and also to bring your offering. So for a few moments, you now turn to, please, turn to those near you, um, grab one of those hands and something to write with, and write on the hand something that is one of the voices coming up that you want to offer up in prayer together. Then when you hear the music, you can come forward.